Money FM 89.3, best of the breakfast huddle. The Bigger Picture with Ryan Huang. Money FM 89.3, The Breakfast Huddle with Elliot Danker, Barrett Ejectish and Ryan Huang. It is time now for The Bigger Picture. Turning out to be a pretty oily affair, isn't it? And world commodity prices, including oil, front and centre today on The Bigger Picture, Ryan. Lots of news around oil these days. The latest is around how US President Joe Biden says the U.S. will ban imports of Russian fossil fuels, including oil, as well as LNG and coal. Uh, The U.K. also joining the party banning Russian oil, though it will still allow natural gas and coal from the country. So adding to the chaos in the commodity space, you've got the London Metal Exchange. It was forced to halt nickel trading and cancel trades after prices doubled on Tuesday to more than $100,000 $100,000 per ton and this is just causing a lot of confusion in markets right now. Let's get the bigger picture from Mumprit Gill. He is the head of FICC Investment Strategy for Standard Chartered Private Bank. Morning Mumprit, how are you doing today? Morning Ryan, good thanks. Uh, would be better if uh, commodity markets were a bit calmer. Yeah, I'm sure you're very busy trying to stay on top of all things commodities. Um, we've got the US and the UK banning Russian imports. That's right at the top in terms of headlines. What does that mean for oil prices in the days to come, Manpreet? Well, I think it's it's a combination of good and bad news. I, I think the, the very sort of act of trying to target Russian oil exports is what drove market fears because that was always going to be viewed as a significant escalation because in the early stages of the conflict, while you know sanctions targeted a number of other areas, you know there was a view that uh, both sides had an incentive to keep uh, at least energy flowing, uh, both from a Russian export point of view as well as a Western import point of view. So it does mark an escalation from that perspective. But I think the key here is that the U.S. on its own, you know, does import a fairly small amount of Russian oil. I think the key player here, of course, is Europe, mm. uh, which hasn't stopped Russian energy imports. So in that sense, there is a silver lining to the cloud, but uh, it certainly has raised market fears that the measures around the conflict could escalate significantly. And I think that's really what oil prices are reflecting. Do you expect the European side to add more pressure on the oil front to also phase out or even reduce its dependence on oil imports from Russia? Well, from a long-term perspective, you know, the incentive has clearly been created for the UK and Europe to, to start sort of looking for other, other sources. And, and to some extent, that reflects in you know, European Union's efforts to get funding to, to look for a new source of energy. But at the end of the day, I think the key here is whether the Ukraine conflict, you know, whether there's any further escalation. Because clearly Europe has a much different level of dependency on Russian energy exports compared to the US or the UK. So it would be quite a significant step. But I think, you know, the US act of banning itself may now be in the price. Okay, and if we look at oil prices, they are now near 13-year highs. Overnight, it was up over 3%. Is the way for prices only up? Because if you look at capacity, in the past few years, oil producers have been winding down investments because of various things like ESG mandates. And to some extent, the ability to raise supply is constrained. Is this going to be a problem? Well, arguably not as much as markets are fearing at the moment. I think when you're looking in the short term, there is, you know, two things happening. I think one is we we clearly have a lot of geopolitical worries baked into the price. And of course, those geopolitical worries have come at a time when demand growth was quite strong and OPEC was only been raising, you know, output at a gradual pace of a low level. Uh, So I think two factors are coming together to raise oil prices today. But when you start looking out to the second half of the year, at least the demand and supply factors start to abate. Uh, You know, demand growth we think will slow as some of the, you know, stimulus said, you know, demand growth Mm. starts to ease off. 
And from a supply perspective, if OPEC continues, even the steady pace of increases, you know, that should introduce more supply into the market. So second half, we actually expect oil prices to come off. I think the key here is geopolitics and whether that premium starts coming out of market if the Ukraine situation doesn't get any mm. worse. And Manfred, how worried are you about a risk of a recession? I'm looking at uh, some analyst commentary and they pointed out not every recession has been caused by an oil price spike, but every oil price spike has caused a recession. How much truth is there behind that quote? Well, I, I think that the first sort of difficulty with that is defining exactly what an oil price shock is, because, you know, when you look around, there are quite a few definitions. Uh, we've seen, you know, one, one definition that looks at deviation oil prices from trends. There's another one which says that we should start to worry that when oil prices double off their lows, which would need WTI to go to $130 and, and stay there, for example. So I think when a better approach may be to look at a wider cross-section of indicators. Of course, oil prices is one. The other one we, of course, like is the yield curve, the gap between the 10-year and 2-year U.S. bond yield. Now, that's also very low, but it has not turned negative, uh, which is you know, a more reliable recession indicator. And similarly, we haven't seen high yield bond credit spread start to spike, which mm. is the third thing we should expect to see. So I think many of these indicators have clearly moved in the direction of, of being more worrisome, uh, but they haven't, in our view, at least flipped over into warning of a recession. So you know, how the conflict pans out and what impact they have on these three indicators uh, will be key. At the moment, they're not flashing a warning sign. But yes, of course, we keep a close eye on them. All right. We're chatting Manpreet Gill. He is the head of FICC Investment Strategy for Standard Chartered Private Bank. Uh, Manpreet, switching gears to nickel. We've got the London Metal Exchange forced to halt nickel trading and even cancel trades after prices doubled on Tuesday to more than $100,000 per tonne. Some sources blaming short covering. Now, how significant is this, Manpreet? I'm looking at some descriptions calling it the biggest crisis to hit the 145-year-old exchange in decades. What sort of problems are we expecting here? No, it's clearly an, an unusually large move. I mean, I was looking at one article which argued this was a 42 standard deviation move by their calculation. But I think there are obviously a number of factors involved here. I mean, I think one is it's, it's an example of the fallout of you know, the Ukraine conflict, because Russia is one of the world's top nickel exporters amongst other metals like palladium, and there's a lot of demand. Nickel is a key input into electric vehicle batteries, for example. Um, so I think that is what has been pressuring prices higher across the board, including for nickel. Now, the specific spike, I think, also has a lot to do with specific market positions and rules around the exchange. So undoubtedly, we'll, you know, I'm sure the uh, LME is on, on top of that. So I'd look through sort of that, the market technicals, because I think that's more a one-off. But I think that doesn't take away the broader concern here that, you know, if this conflict keeps escalating and sanctions keep escalating, it's Russian commodity supply. That's really the factor to worry about. And similar to what we discussed on oil prices as as one of the factors to watch, you know, as a warning indicator, I think metal prices are are equally important, especially for sectors where, like like EVs, which use it as Mm. a key input. Hey, Manfred, let's wrap things up with your view on asset allocation for your portfolio. If I'm an investor looking to maybe reposition right now, would I be uh, better positioned with an increased exposure to energy names maybe and maybe um, commodity currencies right now? Absolutely, and particularly to the energy sector. I think the key, the way we're looking at asset allocation today is we don't want to touch long-term allocation to equities because, to your point, if we avoid a recession, it would be a mistake to sell down you know, long-term equity holdings at this point in time. So we'd rather look for you know, asset classes that can help hedge against the possibility that this gets worse short-term. And I think energy sector equities is one candidate, commodity currencies is another, and a third, of course, is you know, pricing positioning for more euro weakness in the short-term against safe havens like gold or the Japanese yen. We think those can help smoothen the ride over the very short-term while allowing investors to stay invested in equities and other risk assets on a 12-month basis. 
Okay, so some things to watch out for on the horizon. We've been chatting Manpreet Gill. He is the head of FICC Investment Strategy for Senate Chartered Private Bank. Manpreet, thank you for your time and we'll catch up again with you soon. Thanks very much. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.